before who stands beside you who loves you to it, the best description of Jesus is, is that he is love. My Lord. 
Yeah, you're in a good spot when the musicians play themselves happy. Uh, you don't have to do Bless you, man. Bless you. We have uh, been in a sermon series for several weeks now. Using as a foundation for the series Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. That might sound like an academic background for a sermon series. I know these days sermon series to be attention getting have to have a sexy title, Monica. You know, how to put the groove back in your grace, you know. Stuff like that. That's what people people want to hear. That kind of stuff. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good one. Well, I ain't got that one. <laughs> yeah, but that's what folk want to hear. I'm sorry. All the Lord gave me on this series, using that scripture background, was living the good life. I know I'm not the only one who desires to live a good life. But I found that living the good life doesn't have anything to do with money. Doesn't have anything to do with houses, material things like that. Now that is a definition that some would give to live in the good life, but I think there are some intangibles that go into living the good life, like peace. Yeah, yeah, anybody know about that? How about health? Yeah. Yeah. Love. <laughs> Having a life full of love, and Jesus in his direct ministry to the disciples, taught them in the Sermon on the Mount how to think about living as a follower of him. It's not automatic. And so we talked about certain aspects of living for Christ talked about how to live such that heaven applauds you in the way you live. We talked about how we're expected as believers to add seasoning to what would otherwise be a dreary life. Because Jesus told us that we are to be, we are, not are to be, but we are salt. But not only did he say we were salt, he said we are light. And so he told us that we have to not live our life under a bushel. And last week we moved into a different arena. We're going to kind of follow suit this week. We know that there are some 
everyday flesh issues that bother us that we have got to get control over that hinder us from living a good life. One of those things that we got to deal with on a regular basis is how to control our anger. Last week we talked about that. What about, what about our anger? This week we're going to go in a different direction. Y'all see I'm struggling. We're going to go in a different direction. We're going to move from anger to the other end of the spectrum. Today our foundational scripture is in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 6. And I want to lift up verses 14 and 15. They're going to serve as the basis for our message today. Jesus said these words. If you've got a Bible that's a red-letter Bible, then it ought to be in red. That simply means that Jesus is the one who said it. All right? That's what a red-letter Bible means. And Jesus said this to his disciples who were sitting there gathered around the Mount, Mount Sinai. He said, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And in 15, he said, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. My goodness. Today, I simply want to talk about three words. Three words. I forgive you. I forgive you. These are hard words. Yeah. I forgive you rank right up there with I am sorry. Or I was wrong. Those are hard words to say. There's a famous psychiatrist named Carl Menninger. He once said that if he could convince the patients in a psychiatric hospital that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out of the hospital. 75% of them. Because most people suffer, and I use that word intentionally, suffer under the burden of feeling as if they've done something wrong and that they can't be forgiven what they've done wrong. 75%. Inpatient hospital could walk out. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, I can do something, and I need you to notice today, and somebody probably going to shout when you hear this. If you think about the whole range of things that God is able to do, there's something that you and I can do that God can't do. That doesn't even compute, does it? Because he's God. And, and, and we've been saying all our lives, there's nothing too hard for God. Yeah, there's nothing that God can't accomplish. If God can't do it, it's impossible. Yeah, but there's one thing that you and I have the unique ability to do that God cannot do. And that is, God cannot remember my sin. God cannot remember my 
my sins. You can. I can. I can remember all my sins. But God cannot for his own. The Bible says that he won't do it for his own sake. Not for my sake. But for his own sake. Because if he remembered my sin, he'd have to punish me for my sin. Somebody in here ought to shout hallelujah. That the stuff that I've been dragging around feeling guilty about, God doesn't have anything to do with that. That is 100% in me. Because if you have had the courage to give them to the Lord and ask him to forgive you, I came this morning to tell you 100% he's done it. He has done it. He has forgiven you that sin and the only one dragging it around is you. Oh, I know, I know what it's like. I know, I know what it's like to live in this world when you've done something that you think everybody knows. And even though you've lived beyond that moment in your life, every time you see a certain somebody, the first thing that comes to your mind is they remember when I used to be. And they look at me like I used to be. And don't act like there's no reason to somebody thinking about or like that. Because when you see somebody who you know has done something in the past. Now, now be quick about it. Don't say it out loud, though. But do you think about them in that way that that person was a drug addict? Yeah. Or do you look at them as a redeemed person who had that in their background. That's why people suffer because we always forecast what people think about us. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong. For the most part, most folk don't care. <laughs> I know most folk don't even care. Yeah, but it matters to us and we end up shaping our lives around the notion that people feel a certain way about us, but it's not God. When God says, I forgive you, he means it. In the last study, uh, we were, well, in the preceding part of this passage of scripture, we come through what's called the model prayer. The model prayer. We're not going to go through that in this particular study. But I do know, need you to know that of all the things that Jesus was able to teach his disciples, there's only one thing they ever asked him to teach them. And the one thing that they asked him to teach them was how to pray. You see, they saw Jesus praying all the time. And Jesus had, among other things, he may have had a happy I mean, a healthy appetite for physical food, but he had a voracious appetite for spiritual communication with the Lord. He prayed, and they watched him pray. And not only did they watch him pray, they watched things happen significantly when Jesus prayed. And when you see somebody who tends to have that kind of control in their prayer life, you want to go up to them and say, teach me. 
how to pray like that. Not just because you want to have bells and whistles or things happening, but you see what it brings to your life. You see the peace it brings to their life. You, you, you see the comfort and the strength that it brings to their life. And so the disciples came to him and they said, teach me how to pray. And so this passage, these passages that we're talking about today immediately follow Jesus' teaching his disciples how to pray. And so that wasn't by accident. Jesus follows up with his instruction on when you pray, pray like this. Or when you pray, pray in this manner. He said, but you can't, somebody going to stop me when I say this, you can't pray effectively if you don't understand what forgiveness is. Yeah, you, you, you cannot be effective in your prayer life while you're harboring ill will toward other folk. He mentions prayer. He mentions, I'm sorry, forgiveness in the model prayer. In verse 12, in verse 12, he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He mentions it. And the reason he mentioned it is he knew that a forgiving spirit, you can write this down if you write, is imperative to effective prayer. A forgiving spirit is an essential component to effective prayer. Yeah, people wouldn't imagine that you have to put salt in a cake to make it taste good. But if you leave the salt out of a cake, you can tell that it's not in there. How many other bakers in here besides me? I, I don't know why that's that funny. And some of the bakers are laughing harder than anybody else. Is it true, Pee Wee? You can't cook a good cake without putting some, some salt in it. Louise, you laughing too loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They know I don't know anything about bacon other than the end result of it, and that's the eating part. <laughs> and that I do. Come on now. Come on. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have some other eaters in the house. Yeah, yeah, y'all talking now. That's what you do it for. That's right, that's right. Yeah, I bless your effort. So when we start looking at these verses, the first thing we need to understand in order to put forgiveness into its proper context is what is forgiveness? What, what's the definition of Forgiveness. Jesus puts emphasis on forgiveness, and the reason he does so is because understanding it means you can have a healthier, wholesome lifestyle uh, with other people. And so we define, we define uh, forgiveness very simply. It simply means sending away, letting go, letting go, just getting rid of something that you have an obligation to hold. See, true forgiveness only comes when you've truly been hurt. When somebody has really done something to you, 
and you forgive them, you really release yourself of the right to claim some kind of response to them. That's what forgiveness is. Can I make it plain for you? How many of you have ever had a loan and you didn't have to pay the loan back because you were given the grace by someone of forgiving the loan? Maybe I can make it plain to some kids. How about use your turn to wash dishes? And when you go in the kitchen to wash dishes, you find out your mama has already washed the dishes for you. Yeah, she, re she forgave you of the responsibility you had to wash the dishes. Yeah, she didn't, she didn't stop you before you ate the pie. She let you get that too. You enjoyed the benefit, and then when your obligation kicked in to take care of the dishes and clean them, she did it for you. Wow. Because some of us don't understand that living in a household requires responsibility. We have debts in the house. We have debts in the house that we have to pay, and we pay them by our actions. And sometimes we get forgiven those actions. And so letting go of a responsibility or response that I'm entitled to is a definition of forgiveness. Jesus says in verse 14, walk with me on this, that he says, if you forgive men their trespasses, the very words that Jesus used mean that I have to forgive intentionally. I must do it intentionally. It's something that I have a mind to do. Forgiveness isn't something to simply contemplate, but it's something that I have to follow through with. It doesn't matter if I have the intention to forgive and I never actually do. I have to actually, and it has to be communicated in some type of way. You got to know that I have Forgiven you, if you are going to experience victory in your life, when you pray, when you walk, when you witness, you have got to learn to have a forgiving spirit. You've got to learn how to do it intentionally. Some of the commentators over the years have said some things that might screw you up. If you start reading too deeply into this, be careful that you get somebody who can explain it to you because David, there's some, some uh, writers of commentary that have read that there's no obligation to forgive somebody who, uh, 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 if they don't say I'm sorry. Oh yeah, in other words, if they don't repent, I'm not obligated to forgive them, but that's not what Jesus said. This is man's reading into some scripture. Let me see if I can give you a counterpoint to that. If you, re if you read that in scripture, that if somebody doesn't say I'm sorry for what I've done to you, you have no obligation to forgive them. That sounds good from man, but that ain't God. All right? Let me tell you what God says. God says while you're nailing my hands. God says while you're nailing my feet. God says while you're putting the thorns on my head. God says while you're putting the cross in an upright position, I'm praying that the God will forgive you. 
I'm not waiting on you to ask me for forgiveness or for you to even repent of the wrong you're doing to me while you're nailing my hands and my feet and putting it I'm praying for you in the midst of it all. That's the example that Jesus Christ gave to us. That I ain't got to wait on somebody to walk up to me and tell me they are sorry for what they're doing for me to pray that God will forgive them. It takes an extra human effort to be able to truly forgive somebody. Yeah. But it's, and the reason why it's complicated is because it's hard. It's hard. This is a hard thing to do because we are in a society when small trespasses become major affronts. Small trespasses take on epic, epic proportions. And so we get upset when people won't apologize for mispronouncing our name. Yeah, you got, you got three L's and two W's in your name. And folk can't pronounce it right. <laughs> and you get upset every time they say your names, you know. And you want them to say it right. So you snap at them. And when they, when they, say, when they don't say, I'm sorry, you mad at them. Yeah. They don't respect my identity. <laughs> we make those major issues. When I got news for you, all your life, folk going to be mispronouncing your name. You better get used to it or you better change your name. <laughs> all right? Because that's what's going to happen. I know. Uh, if I got offended because Mel kept coming to my house, Miss Andre Small. <laughs> it happens every day. Yeah, every, every day. People who have known me all my life, every day of my life, mispronounce my name when they talk to me. I mean, and it's okay. I just answer, huh? <laughs> when they call me, I just, yes. Small affronts, small, um, small trespasses become major affronts. It's hard because there are some major things that happen in folks' lives. And when they can get the courage to forgive folks these major things, it shows you just how minor these other things are. We live in a body of flesh that desires, requires almost to... to, to to not do what the word of God says. In fact, the flesh is in opposite to what God's laws says because God's laws are grounded in spiritual truths. Our flesh doesn't want to forgive, which is why you have to be controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to truly forgive somebody. You have to be guided by him. And so it's complicated. Because it's hard. Not only that, according to the scripture, according to verses 14 and 15, Jesus had, there is an expectation in forgiveness. I love this about him. He says, if you can give somebody here forgiveness, then you can give forgiveness in heaven. Oh yeah, which means you need to know if you have the courage, the strength to forgive somebody, then you can expect it to be reciprocal in heaven. If I can forgive you down here, then my father can forgive me in heaven. 
But then Jesus doubles down on that, Bobby, and he says, but if you can't, if you can't have the courage to forgive somebody down here, then you cannot expect that you'll be forgiven in heaven. My Lord. That's a, that's a big statement. That, that's a big statement, and I, I told you because it's hard. It's complicated. Forgiveness, according to Jesus' words, is a two-way street. If we offer forgiveness to those who have legitimately trespassed against us, they, they've done wrong. Don't, don't ever miss that in this now. They have done wrong. They have stepped on you in some kind of way. They've taken from you. They've harmed you. They've hurt you in some kind of way. It is a legitimate grievance that you have against them. And to turn around and forgive them takes more than a notion. It takes strength and courage. And it takes, in my opinion, and in the words, direction, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But I can expect that there's a reward if I can have that courage that God will forgive me my trespasses. See, because this is what you got to understand. Yes, somebody has done something to you, but you've done something to somebody else too. And what we will do is amplify what folk have done to us and minimize what we've done to other people. And we expect that God is going to forgive us everything we've done but he's going to bring retribution on the other person. And God says, no, that, this works both ways. you got to forgive them before you expect me to forgive you. Unconfessed and unforgiven sin blocks our relationship with the Lord. Oh, oh, I know it's true. Not only does unconfessed and unforgiven sin block our relationship with the Lord, it blocks our relationship with each other. Yeah, when folk around here who we deal with know they're not in the right, know they've been doing wrong, the last folk they want to see is folk from church. Oh, they hide from us. You, 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 you see them in Walmart for a moment. Yeah, they're fleeting. Now, didn't I just see on aisle three? <laughs> yeah, we try, to, we try to stay away from that. Why? Because we don't, have, we don't want to have those conversations because you know what's going to come up. Hey, how you doing? I ain't seen you in a minute. Those are just normal conversations. But it brings back all of the other stuff. And that's why the Lord says you can deal with all of that in context, but you've got to be able to forgive folk what they've done to you. And then you can rest on the assurance that the Lord has forgiven me. And then I love this in verse 15. This is the capstone for you, that heaven is watching. Heaven is watching our interactions down here. Heaven knows what we're doing. But if ye forgive not their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. My goodness, what's the difference in a debt and a trespass? Trespasses talk about stumbling, falling, uh, slipping, blunders that tend to get into other folks way you know I'm, I'm i'm goofy i trip by your car and lean on it and scratch it yeah has that impacted you it has but it, it wasn't intentional yeah yeah i trespassed against your property yeah i'm um, there's small things that can create problems 
for you. Does that hurt your property? Sure, it devalues your property to some extent. Yeah, we don't think about it like that, you know. Uh, the fact that you just about to sell your car, now you've got to explain to the dealer why it's a scratch on there. Uh, I just cost you some. That's a trespass against you. That's different than me busting the window out your car. All right? It's different. Yeah, then we just taking the brick and knocking the window out. Yeah. I, you know I called you some money then when that happens. And, but, but one is completely intentional, and the other is not so intentional. And certainly there's a debt owed to you under both circumstances. But it's easier under one circumstance to say, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then on the other, when I intended to do it, it's not as easy. But the question is, how do you forgive those? Not what they did. Do you forgive them differently? And the Bible is saying you got to forgive the one who tripped and scratched your car the same way you got to forgive the one who busted the window out your car. That's what the Bible is saying. And that's why it's hard. Yeah. And Jesus closed it out by telling a simple parable. I'm going to tell you this and then we're out here this morning. He simply says that there were individuals who owed a great debt to the king. Uh, in, the, in the Bible, it's found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. And it's referred to as the parable of the unforgiving servant. The parable of the unforgiving servant. And Jesus tells the story um, of some servants who owed the king some money. And the king decided to square his accounts. Well, as he got started squaring the accounts with the various individual, one servant was brought before him who owed the king a debt far greater than he could ever pay him back. I mean, let's just put it in today's context. He, he, let's just say he owed the, the king $100,000. <coughs> There's no way in his lifetime as a servant he could ever pay the king back the money. And so because he couldn't pay up, the king ordered that him and his family, everything he had at that time, would be taken and sold into servitude and all the profits given to him to satisfy the debt. But the man who owed the debt, the debtor, threw himself at the king's seat and he begged, Lord, please give me a chance. I'll pay it all back to you. I'll do whatever I need to do in order to give you uh, satisfaction on this debt. And the Bible says that the king was moved with compassion. And because of his being moved to compassion, he forgave the $100,000 that the man owed. <coughs> the, the man got up, celebrated, and as he was leaving the king's palace, he happened to run into somebody who owed him $10. <coughs> owed him $10. And he jumped on that dude that owed him $10, and he said, man, where's my money? This is the one who had just been forgiven $100,000. He jumps down this man's throat and said, man, give me my money, or else I got something for you. And when the man said, brother, I don't have the $10 to give you right now, he called the police on him and had this man thrown in jail over $10. Well, as you can observe, as you can know, Twitter was alive. Everybody was taking pictures of the thing that happened between them. And they sent it straight to the king's feed. The feed, the king is looking at it, and he sees the man that he's just forgiven $100,000 jumping down somebody's throat who owes him $10. Yeah. 
And so the king turns around and says to him, go get him. The one I just forgave all that money. Y'all know where this is going? Go get him. And they brought him back to him. And the king then said, I just gave you mercy. And you won't turn around and give the same mercy that I gave you to somebody else. And because of that, I'm going to require that you be punished. That's what the Lord is telling us is going to happen to us. If we can't give the grace that he has been given to us, then we have no expectation that we can revel in the grace that God has given to us. That makes sense to y'all? And so you got to learn how to give if you're going to receive. Now, it's not because Andre said it. It's because Jesus Christ said it. So many today are walking around bitter. People are walking around away from the blessings of God. People are walking around detached from other folk because they're unwilling to forgive. Somebody did something to you years ago, and they legitimately hurt you. They harmed you. They, they, in your opinion, they wrecked your life. But every time you go down on your knees and you say, Lord, forgive me. Jesus is simply saying, have you forgiven? Have you done what you're asking me to do? Have you taken the time to go to that person and let them know that what they owe you, you've forgiven them? And I came to tell you today, if you're not willing to do that, then you don't have, according to Jesus Christ, a reasonable expectation that you too will be forgiven. Now, now let me tell you this about this, and I'm out of here. What I'm telling you about today ain't got nothing to do with your salvation. All right? Jesus is not saying you're not going to go to heaven because you can't forgive somebody. Living your best life down here means you also want to have good fellowship with folks. And what he's saying to you is, if you want to have good fellowship with people, if you want to have peace in your life, if you want to have less drama in your life, then you need to learn how to forgive folks. All right? This is not a salvation stripper. All right? But it is a fellowship denier. Draw strength from the teaching that Jesus Christ has given. How can somebody who has had the courage to come up here and stand before a church congregation and acknowledge that they are a sinner, acknowledge that they have fallen short and that they needed a savior, how can somebody who claims that salvation, claims that forgiveness for themselves, turn around and deny it to somebody else? That's all Jesus Christ is saying. And if you who are in the household of faith, who Jesus was talking about, can stand flat-footed and say, I am forgiven my sin. Who are you to turn around and deny somebody else being forgiven? Somebody today just found out that Jesus Christ is a forgiver. Oh, I can't even imagine how much he's forgiven you. But I know what he's forgiven me. I know it was black as the pit from pole to pole. I know it was horrible. And yet he forgave every drop of it just for me. Who am I to turn around and deny somebody else that same thing? As hard as it is sometimes, 
I tell folk all the time, I don't have the luxury of not forgiving folk when they treat me bad. I don't have the luxury of not giving what Jesus Christ gave to me. Are you here today? Do you know that Jesus has forgiven you? Do you know that he has blessed you in spite of yourself? Do you know that even before you met him, he had died for you? Gone to the cross for you. Didn't just stay on the cross. He died for you all the way. Stayed dead. According to the scripture, he stayed dead. The Bible says it was three days. Whatever the period of time, it was long enough for God to be satisfied that your debt and my debt had already been paid. Before 1024 p.m. on July 16, 1964, ever hit the clock, Jesus had already died for my sin. For I ever came to this place, I was already forgiven. Thank God I got old enough to acknowledge that Jesus had died for me and mature enough to claim it for myself. And I have. My question, have you? If you've never done it, then I'm extending an invitation to you right now. Let today be the day that you accept Christ's sacrifice for you. As our leaders come to welcome the doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come. He's forgiven you.